Welcome to episode number 26 of the Jackson Hole Connection. I am Stephan Abrams, your host and guide into the lives of interesting people connected to Jackson Hole. My guest today is the funny, hard-charging Jennifer Ford, founder and CEO of Frederick Mountain Group. Jen will share with us today her story of landing in Jackson Hole and taking the risk of playing hard in the mountains. After a climbing accident, Jen had to go through the painful reality of who she now was and reorient herself in a new direction in life. Jen is a strong influencer and participant in the community of Jackson Hole. Through her business and volunteerism, Jen is helping shape and grow the future leaders of this valley, just as she was shaped by the mountains and people of this area. Before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Wanna know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Jen, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's delightful to have a time set aside to sit down and talk with you. Thanks so much for having me, Stefan. I appreciate it. You are a person of influence in this community because you've done I so much. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> you don't think you're an influencer in this community? <laughs> oh, well, I hope it's a good thing. <laughs> I, certainly, I do have an influence. <laughs> hey, by the way, this is the show. We're live now. <laughs> You can keep this in. I think it's funny. But, um, you bet we will. <laughs> Tell everybody how you landed here in Jackson Hole and why Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah, it's actually a really fun story. Much like many people, I fell in the hole. But I was actually a <laughs> wilderness guide um, back east. I'm from Western Maryland originally. And I was working with a company called TeamLink that actually worked with a company called City Kids or a nonprofit called City Kids. And I had been working with at-risk youth on the Appalachian Trail. And they said, you know, you should come out, you should go out to Wyoming and work with this program called City Kids. And I didn't even know what Wyoming was. I truly had never heard. I mean, I knew it from like the state alphabet song. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> well, I just, I had no, but like, I didn't know what it looked like. I was like, Wyoming, mm-hmm. sounds cool. I knew it was north of Colorado. So uh, they offered me the job. This is back in spring of 2000 and I actually turned it down because I was about to go to school my mom my mom yeah this is how long ago it was she's like you need to get ready for college like you don't need to go some random place and I said okay I won't go and then they called me in late July and they said are you sure you can't come for the last session and I said without even asking my mother which is shocking for me we cannot do that in life (laughs) yes I'll go and so sight unseen, I got on a plane and flew to Wyoming in August of 2000 to work for City Kids Wilderness Project. Uh, I got in, uh, of course, there were delays out of Denver, so everybody can relate to that true, true rite of passage there. <laughs> and uh, I landed at like 11 o'clock at night and I, they drove me down to Hoback and I'll never forget this. The um, program director's husband said, watch out, the bears have been, cu-. he was French Canadian, because the bears have been bothering keep your windows closed. And then he just dropped me off. It was pitch black. I was down like Hoback right before the Canyon. I was like, okay, woke up the next morning, saw Beaver mountain. My first day in Wyoming, I actually, um, I came out as a flatwater canoe instructor and I canoed from, um, let's see, from the dam down to artist point. And I just like fell in love immediately. I just couldn't believe it. It was the most 
beautiful place, the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And you fell in love. I did. I spent 30 days out here. I spent a lot of time in the in Yellowstone, a lot of time and just out in the woods. I actually spent very little time in Jackson because we were based in, in Hoback. So I didn't really see the town at all. I think we walked around the town square uh, and I came back and started college that, that late August. And I instantly was like, I'm going back to Jackson. Like I'm just like the song. And so Every free minute I had after that, I was out here first in the summer, then I'd come out during the winter. And then when I finished school, I moved right out to Jackson. I actually moved to Idaho and worked for Knowles for a little bit. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a teacher or a guide? Um, I was a guide teacher. By then I had discovered Lander, Wyoming. And I thought, this is the place. Like, this place is awesome. I would like to move to Lander. And Knowles was like, yes, but you've been in the Tetons. So you're going to work in the Tetons. I was like, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I worked in the Twig is what they call it over in Driggs, Idaho, uh, starting in 2003. And then I took my Knowles instructor course in 2004 after I finished college. During the span after college, mm-hmm. joining Knowles, and where you are now, you did a few other things. <laughs> I think you went to something called loss. <laughs> you know, um, this is actually really interesting because as you know, Steph and I work with entrepreneurs and what's happened in our community, the opportunity that's available to young people has just transformed over the last 15 years. And as a business owner yourself, I know you can relate to this, but in 07, I did go to law school and it was mostly because, uh, you know, like everybody else, your parents keep bothering you about why you're living out your dreams. <laughs> you went with your life in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're like, how much can you ski? And I was like, a lot. I can ski a lot. There's a lot of skiing to be done, a lot of climbing. I have a lot of things I need to get get done. Between uh, 04, when I moved out here in 07, I, or sorry, between 2000 and 07, I actually had a terrible climbing accident in Grand Teton National Park. And it kind of started to curtail my ability to guide. And so my last uh, official trip with Knowles with any company was in 06. Um, I had to rehab and all kinds of crazy stuff. In 07, in 06 and 07, I kind of found myself like, okay, what am I going to do? I had a different relationship to the wilderness for the first time in my life. You know, it wasn't about ski days. It wasn't about new routes and new lines um, for climbing. When I, at the time, when I was here in Jackson, like the things that you could do in Jackson would be a banker or be a realtor or be a lawyer. I mean, that was it. That was kind of the, the extent of the world. And it's insane because I know you know a lot of the people who were at Jackson State Bank and Trust a million years ago. But I, I think you forgot two other things. You could own an art gallery or a rug shop. <laughs> And I didn't have any kind of rug shop art gallery money. <laughs> and I wasn't interested in getting my real estate license. <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. There, were just, there just wasn't a lot to do. And so I was like, well, okay, I'll be a lawyer. And I, I know this is going to be to the chagrin of many people, but instead of going to UW, I went to CU because it was just close enough, right? My parents were like, go to law school. I was like, fine, I'll go to law school eight hours from Jackson. <laughs> And they're like, that's not what we meant. I'm like, that too bad. So we had this big party at Cuddy's actually. I had like 110 people were there. I'm like, I'm leaving Jackson. Goodbye, everyone. And like two weeks later, I was back uh, on a weekend uh, up from Colorado. Everyone's like, I thought you left. I'm like, I don't like law school. It's really terrible down there. I want to come home. But I stuck with it. What was happening in Jackson while I was kind of on my little sojourn, if you will, is that 
the recession hit. So I went to law school in 07 and 08, the recession hit. And I would say, and, and you can check me on this stuff and you lived through it, but it really started to shake everything up by 09. So I was still in grad school. The global economy had started to collapse. And here in Jackson, it was kind of heartbreaking. But, you know, my friends, some of your friends, they were losing their houses to foreclosure. There weren't a lot of jobs. I mean, it just kind of broke my heart. But I just realized by the time I finished law school, I couldn't just go back to Jackson, the original plan. I had to figure something else out. Out of that started a lot of folks thinking about different things. And a couple of things came to fruition, one of which was the, uh, what would become Silicon Coir. Another one was the Young Professionals of the Tetons. And people started talking about, I, I call this the phase of when people stopped talking about snow and started talking about life and jobs. And the yeah, other thing, the exactly. And, and the other thing, the true story about Jackson is most of the people who had been able to really make a living for themselves outside of banking or real estate had their own shop, whether it was a rafting service, a rug shop, a clothing store, like the other people who were making it were these entrepreneurs that kind of just struck out their own thing. They started talking to each other. Um, I went down to Austin, Texas, instead of coming back to Jackson, because why not? <laughs> and this is a funny little Jackson moment. I'm down in Austin, Texas, at this place called The Broken Spoke. And uh, I, I'm a big uh, two-step dancer. And so I was down there, kind of known to the two-step scene. And one of the other kind of known dancers said, hey, Wyoming, there's somebody else from Wyoming here. And I was like, nah, no. I'll be the judge of who is from Wyoming. And I like marched across the bar and saw this woman. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm Jen. I'm from Wyoming. And somehow she didn't get her name out, probably because I was talking English. And I said, well, what do you do in Jackson? She goes, oh, oh no, she did say her name, but it, does, it ruins the story if I tell you her name. I don't do it. Uh, so she says, uh, I said, what do you do in Jackson? She goes, oh, I'm an artist. I said, you know, there's this really famous artist, Amy Ringholz, who's up there. She goes, I'm Amy Ringholz. <laughs> because we had never met each other up here. I just kind of had been admiring her work and she was on kind of a sabbatical down in Austin. And so that was in 2012. And it's like, you know, people, a lot of people I know leave Jackson, come back. And it's like, all I ever wanted to do was come back to Jackson and meeting Amy started me down this path where I basically ended up in Jackson in 2013. But it was all because of honky tonking and two-stepping at a bar in Austin, running Thank into God the- for honky tonking. <laughs> That's the only thing Wyoming, I, you know, leave the state. We're like, all right, we're going to need a steak and we're going to need to go to stuff. Don't forget your boots when you travel. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So let's go back to when you were a guide and you were doing all this climbing and you had this accident. Mm -hmm. How did that help you develop as a person going through that rehab? Because you could have just given up at that point, but you had to work hard to be in the condition and shape that you're and where you are now. Yeah. You know, it was, it was such an interesting time. And there's a quote that will ring true for many people in Jackson. There are old climbers and there are bold climbers, but there are no old, bold climbers. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, in 2011, so I was still fairly new to climbing. Um, I went up to the park and I uh, pulled a rock out when I was climbing Tiwanot and nearly cracked, like smushed myself to death. Grace of God, it didn't crack my chest open and it just got kind of stabbed in the leg. And the fallout of that wasn't instantaneous. It took, uh, I had knocked a bunch of discs out, but I was also wildly embarrassed for having had an accident in the park. So I didn't even call search and rescue. <laughs> My friend was like, you're going to end up in the paper if you call search and rescue. I'm like, oh, not that. <laughs> I like, dragged myself out and like iced everything and then went home. 
Uh, and then in 2013, I started noticing. So when you're young, you can basically, you know, like rubber, you can do anything. But I started noticing like my back hurt really, really bad. Like worst pain I'd ever experienced in my life. And so in 13, I started doing the MRIs, the, the uh, um, what was it, the uh, rehab. And I kind of got a little bit better. And actually, by the time I went on my Knowles course in uh, the spring of 14, it was known that I had this, this injury and I had been rehabbing and working to get into that. So I did the Knowles course and actually 21 days into the instructor course, this was, you know, right out of college, this was going to be my life. I actually got evac'd off the Knowles course because I stepped off a log the wrong way and like messed up my back and had to get hiked out like 20 some odd miles. Oof. And so that was when the real rehab began. And it, you know, again, you got to think this is 2004, which in my heart does not feel that long ago, but I know it was a long time ago. <laughs> but in my heart, it was like, oh, you know, it was a couple years ago. In the span of a lifetime, <laughs> it is a very short. Century. Thank you. Exactly. So, but at the time, you know, everybody, it's Jackson, everybody, you know, rides horses or goes hunting. I mean, it was so physical and I had so defined myself by my physicality that I hadn't really done a lot of introspection about who I was, what I was. So much of my self-worth was around how hard I climbed, how fast I climbed, how well I climbed, who, you know, could I keep up with the guys? And um, that summer, that summer of 14, I, you know, spent, I called it the vertical wheelchair. I spent a good chunk of the summer just riding my bike from Victor to Driggs. Um, I did physical therapy again, and I actually met a rolfer named Sue Ann Robertson. So we did some alternative healing stuff. And it was the rolfing that really started to change my life because she said to me, I can fix you. I can fix you, but this is not the life that you're going to live. The life you thought you were going to live is not the life you're going to live. And she wasn't saying that, uh, as, even as I tell the story, she wasn't saying that negatively. She was just like, you're always going to be hurting if you continue down this path. She was kind of the first person who kind of helped me understand that. And you have to, at the time, I'm 21, 22 years old. So it's my first time being told you can't do something or, you know, there are limitations. Like, you know, it just was very, it was a, it was a shock to the system. And all of a sudden, all my peers were out, you know, that's how we all socialized. Everybody went bike riding after work or whatever. And, you know, I was very involved in the climbing community and I couldn't do a lot of hard routes anymore because if I fell, there was a risk that I would knock my spine out of alignment such that I wouldn't be able to walk. They were talking about fusing my spine at one point. And so all of a sudden I had to think about my life. How was I going to be in Jackson and not be the most hardcore extreme person on earth? Which sounds dumb now, I know. But you, gotta, you just got to think about the, the era that we were in at the time. And the age. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was... When, when you come out here, you think you're going to live forever, you're invincible. And so uh, the rehab that really had to happen was my orientation around who I was as a person. I was not the routes I climbed or the slopes I skied. I was this person separate from that with my own brain and my own thoughts. And actually, little known fact is I had been working for nonprofits all through that time frame. So when I wasn't in the backcountry, I was working for the Children's Defense Fund as an intern or the Kennedy Institute of Ethics. So I had a real passion for helping people. I just really loved being in the woods doing that. So I worked with at-risk youth at first and in the therapeutic wilderness and then, you know, more kind of retail uh, backcountry wilderness. So I had to start thinking differently. And I would say that process, truly, Stefan, it took 
you know, that was 04. By the time I went to law school, I was finally getting it figured out. And then a whole new thing happened with the recession. And so then all of a sudden, not only was it not about how many vertical feet I got or how many ski days I got, it, it was also now about, you know, I couldn't get a job. You know, I, I mean, nobody was getting a job. I think 60%, well, maybe it was, I can't remember exactly the figures, but something like 40 to 60% of my class, my graduating law school class had jobs where the, nor- the, no- the normal number was like 80 to 90%. And of that 60%, there were a lot of like federal programs that had come up to kind of catch us and save us from ourselves. And so even though that one climbing moment that happened back in 2011 had this ripple effect, it actually started me on this path of basically kind of separating from what some in the you know, religious communities might call the worldly things. Because at first it was like, okay, it's how hard I ski. The second was how much money I make or what I do for a living. And now all of a sudden I was almost 30. I was 27 when I finished law school. No, I'm sorry. I was, no, I was, I was 27, 28 when I finished law school. And I was having to reorient myself. One of our mutual friends, Steph Thomas says, I feel like you've reinvented yourself so many times. I'm like, well, necessity is the mother of all invention. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it was, it was change or die. (laughs) And so where I sit today is in a place of incredible gratitude for this community because anytime things got tough, this is where, this was always home for me. And I love my family and they're wonderful, but the, the community of friends I've made here and the things that we've been through as a community are what sustain me. Like, I just know that this is home and this is always a place where I can land. And certainly in some sense, I've earned that. I've always been a hard worker. I've always done right by people. And, and you have to be that way if you're going to live in Wyoming, not just in Jackson. But when I think about all those trials and tribulations, I also think about all the fun moments of giggling and laughing and playing music and riding my my bike up and down the little bike path between Victor and Driggs or, you know, later on starting Frederick Mountain Group and moving it back to Jackson and running into you and running into Amy and all those folks. There's something about putting your time in, in this community and doing right by people that is, is appreciated. And I think so many of us, because we're not from here, we have to decide if we want to be here. And when you self-select and say, I want to be here, it creates this little tribe of people that are like kind of hardened and grizzled, but also incredibly soft and like caring and loving. As much as I pulled myself out of several tailspins, if I didn't have my Jackson community, I never would have made it. And all the people listening, you know who you are, but I'm so glad that I know you. (laughs) Well said. And I think your comments there are relevant in today's world, but also when you look back when people were just homesteading and the early 1900s here, they had to rely on each other yeah. to survive. And survival is a little different now compared to then, but it's still survival. And yeah. you, you need people. You, you need that group of people, your tribe to lean on. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's cool. I, and I, I will say this as well, having come and gone. So I've been in Jackson now off and on for 19 years. I do know that it's hard to break into the community. So I'm incredibly humbled and grateful. I guess that's why I think I kind of chuckled as hard as I did when we opened up like an influencer. I'm like, well, if you'd seen me at the two live crew show, I don't think you would have called me an influencer. (laughs) We all got to let loose. (laughs) Um, 
but it, it is, you know, I really feel like in some ways I grew up here because there's the growing up you do with your family and it's kind of, you're marching to that <clears throat> expectation. And then there's the who you want to be. And so much of who I am has been shaped by the mountains and the people to the point where I, I will tell you this moment, and I'm not just trying to wax poetic here, but I, um, when I lived in Texas, it was incredibly hot the first summer I was there. It was 100 degrees every day for three months. And then at night, it would be like 98 degrees. So it's not like it got really cool. cools down. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, dear God. And I will never forget the first time I felt the north winds come down and I could almost smell the mountains and the, the ache in my heart and the homesick in my heart being all the way down. I mean, Austin's fairly south. It's not San Antonio, but it's, it's pretty far south in Texas. To smell that mountain air, I, it took my breath away, you know, because it was just so unexpected because it had been hot and yucky and awesome and great and fantastic. But uh, I even wrote a song about it because I, I just remember that moment where I, not only was it cool, but I could smell the mountains. And it was one of the most profound moments. And I remember thinking, 10 years, I'll be back in Jackson. And that was 2010. And three years later, <laughs> you know, 10 years, three years, whatever. You made it a quick 10 years. <laughs> well, as you can tell from my narrative, I like to pack it in. <laughs> That's good. So now you're the founder, creator of Frederick Mountain Group, a business consulting firm. You help businesses grow and be successful. And where do you feel that your life experiences or how do you feel that your life experiences help you guide these businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things I didn't talk about a lot is my, my pre Jackson days. And I actually come from a family of uh, business owners. And it's funny because I've been thinking about that part of my life. And I did a presentation for the Wyoming Economic Development Association in January. And I talked about my early years where I would go to my grandfather's television shop and just like play in this like dirt parking lot. But you know, when you're a kid, it's like he played Flintstones in the parking lot and he repaired television. And then my mom actually was a, is a dermatologist and started her own company. And so when I was like in my late middle school and then early teen years or high school years, I used to do like medical claims billing. And so I just kind of always was kind of adjacent to business owners. And it, if you're a business owner out there, it is so consuming. It's so all encompassing. The business is you, you are the business that I kept watching like what they were doing and what was going well. I was watching the late nights that my mom would put in. I just thought there's got to be an easier way to do this. And so it wasn't something I set out intentionally to become a business consultant, but I just knew. And then of course, when you go into nonprofits, let me tell you, uh, all you, I, I started my life as a fundraiser developer because you know, you just got to make money. So it was kind of, it was weird because I knew this, the sense and the urgency of needing to make money as a small business owner, right? Because you got payroll and rent and everything else. And then in the nonprofit world, I saw that play out in a whole nother level. And all the time I was guiding and somebody told me something that fundamentally informs what I do for, as a consultant. When we would, after a couple of years of working as a guide, I started to be able to design my own trips. So I, I would take trips out to the Wind Rivers in Wyoming, but I could go out to Joshua Tree and do fun trips. And one of my co-instructors said, take them somewhere with a view. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, if you take them somewhere they want to go and there's a nice view, they'll forget the hundred miles of hiking, they'll forget the mosquitoes, they'll forget everything. And so when I started Frederick Mountain Group in 2000, 
2011 it was, I had been actually consulting internally for a company down in Texas, but it was national. So I was traveling around the country. And I just had this sense that people actually know what they want if they're quiet and think about it. And consultants often tell people what they already know, right? Like they, like things aren't going well, you need to do this different. But consultants don't sit there and do the work with people. They're not there for the ride. And that's what I loved about guiding. If I was, if it was raining, I was wet and the students were wet. You know, if it was hot, we were all hot. And it changes fundamentally how you guide anybody. And so when we started Frederick Mountain Group, we weren't even business consulting. We were administrative consulting. We were consultants for consultants. Um, our first clients were consultants that were business consultants, and we would help them keep the promise to the clients by doing the work. Because I like to sit with people through the work. I'm absolutely interested in how we're going to do it. Uh, and that's something that I definitely take from all the years out in the woods, you know, because I would do, it wasn't like weekend trips, you know, we'd be out there for five, 10, 20 days at a time. And that personal connection and understanding what somebody's real goals are, and then building, having the skill set to build a plan to help them reach those goals. It's like, I get to guide every day in some ways without, you know, the back pain and the mosquito bites. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, working with you, you helped me realize that you have to take the time to sit and think and listen to yourself. Because if you're caught up in the daily grind, you'll never see the view. Oh, <laughs> well, you are so talented, you know, and I'm not just blowing smoke because you let me be on your podcast. <laughs> there's a smoke. There's a, my joke is always there's about 1500 people that run Wyoming. And I think you are such a representation of that because your reach goes so far beyond Teton County. You're on various boards and in various membership groups. And you want to, it's the folks like you and me, frankly, who want to do good and see good things happen in your industry and in your business, that we are the ones who are most likely to not stop and think and listen and take the time. And I, it's certainly something when I tell clients that I'm like, and I'm working on it myself. It's, it, this, is, this is very much, like again, just like guiding. I'm walking up the hill too. <laughs> you know, we're in this together. But it is so fun. Like I, I think about all the scaries that I used to think about that first year I opened my company. And you know, I don't know if I could do it any other way now. Like I don't think I'll ever go back to just a straight gig. I'm always going to probably be kicking something over, trying to find something new, just because it's like in your DNA. You know, it's, it's like adventuring. <laughs> so you being adventurous and the guide leading the, and walking the pathway with, with everyone, what do you do to keep your ideas fresh to continue to inspire yourself? The world is moving so fast now, right? Uh, the, the things I used to do for clients on a technology side back in 2011, we don't do any of that stuff now. And so one of the things that's really fun is living the work. Um, you know that from when you and I work together, like we really get into the systems, we're really looking at it. And so one of the ways we stay fresh is by really understanding the lived experience of a business owner. So when people start talking about, should I be on Pinterest? Should I be on Facebook? Once we understand what your true north is, what you're trying to do, who your audience is, what kind of money you want to make, then we start to kind of weed out, okay, well, we're not going to go down this path. We're not going to go down that path. But in order to do that, we spend a lot of time running systems and processes. I mean, we still build websites. We built one this week. 
<laughs> we still post stuff on Instagram and Facebook for clients. So we do the work and I think that's what keeps you close to it. And I think when I see folks who, who have got a successful business and they start something else, it's the same instinct. Like I, I remember when I worked for Advantage Rent-A-Car, which was the national company I used to do consulting for, I was standing at a, at a, at a car rental spot in Austin. And I had this very real moment that I'm like, I don't understand how we got the customers here. Like, I don't understand how it all came to be that this customer is standing in front of me, which was none of my business, right? Like I was supposed to rent them a car and, you know, get them into the Mustang or whatever. (laughs) It didn't matter. But that curiosity uh, is something that I'm, so when I see, and anybody who's in business knows that you see these ads on Facebook or you, get these webinars. I still look at the webinars. I still read the trade magazines. Like I'm interested in it because I'm just fascinated by how fast it moves. And then I can go into a room with a business owner and say, Hey, I know you're super excited about Snapchat, but that that's, it's done. Snapchat's over. And the corollary to that is some things never change. You got to have your P and L strong. You got to know your margins, you know, before we ever start talking about marketing or sales or hiring, we're always looking at, you know, how, how much money do you want to make and how much money are you making? Like, where are you? Right. Like, like guiding. I have to know where we are. I got to know what our resources are, how much water we have, how much food we have. I need to know the conditions ahead of us so that I can tell you we're going to climb this mountain or, you know what, we're not climbing this mountain. And it, it's just not going to happen for us right now. That doesn't mean it'll never happen. It's just not happening right now. But I think a, a lot of staying fresh and staying sharp is staying close to the work. And I think every business owner benefits from that. You know, the um, Undercover Boss show. Mm-hmm. I love that show because, you know, owners remember what it was like in the early days. But if you're doing it right, you build systems, you build processes. So there's a lot of layers between you and the customer or you and your frontline salesperson. But when you stay close to it, not in a way where you're working in the business, <laughs> you know, but working on the business. You stay frosty and you see things completely differently than you would, you know, in the C-suite. Indeed. And for me, one of my challenges is that I have to make sure that I go into the business because mm-hmm. four or five years ago, the business right. was running me, Right. where now I'm running the business. Good job, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It's been, it's been a tough change to I let know. go of a lot of things, but wow. I still because I enjoy what my business is about. And I so appreciate the people who are in the front line. I want to be there with them at times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good instinct. And I think the dance, and it is a dance, it's not a science. It's very much an art is how do I stay close to it, but don't let it consume me. And I think that's something that, especially as a business changes and evolves, your, your relationship to it's going to change and evolve. But those business owners that are curious about that, that have a lot of humility and that want to go back in there, those are my favorite people to work with because they're going to put their internal people first, which means they're going to put their customer first, which means they're going to do exactly what we started out talking about, which is like be a good member of the community, right? They're going to be in the tribe. They're going to do right by all of us. And it's, it's all very circular and cyclical in my mind, but when you are good to people, that's how you, that's how you, that's how you survive the, the long winters, the recessions, the dark nights, the tough times, you know, that's how you do it. When you're, when you show up for people, they'll show up for you. Amen. That's so right. So Jennifer, this has been awesome sitting here talking to you, <laughs> but I think people 
want to hear a few more tidbits about your passions. And <laughs> so Jen and I are friends on Facebook. And if anybody's a friend with Jen on Facebook, <laughs> you see some of the most entertaining, <laughs> creative posts about her dogs. <laughs> Where do you come up with these? They're spectacular. They're sitting right next to me right now. Much like in business, if you ask people for something and listen, they'll tell you something. And so um, I love dogs. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a big fan of dogs. I can't go anywhere near the Animal Adoption Center because I'll just take one or two home. <laughs> and the Animal Adoption Center knows that too. They're like, they know when to call me. They're like, hey, I think you're down a dog. I'm like, I am down a dog. <laughs> so um, I have this, I love looking at dogs' faces though and just thinking like, what's going on in that head of yours? And, you know, you spend a lot of time looking into a dog's face. It's like when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. <laughs> so there's an Instagram account called JFO Jackson and it's dedicated to all things uh, dog related. And it's all the inner workings and thoughts of my dogs. And they're hysterical. I could do this for anybody's dog. Actually, we have a mutual friend, Carolyn Rips, and she actually sent me, I'll never forget this. She said, what is my dog saying to me? And I looked at the phone. <laughs> I looked at the phone and I texted her back three seconds later. I'm like, this is what your dog is saying. <laughs> She's like, that is what he's saying. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's not just my dogs, your dog, everybody's dog, cat, bird, anybody. You could get him to say something. It probably helps to be uh, creative. So the marketing work too. What is the Instagram again? Uh, JFO, J-F-O Jackson. And I used to call it Adventures of Winnie and Other Dog. But that's when we had our first dog. That was years ago. And now you'll see that there's a lot of players. Jack is prominently featured. The Cocker Spaniel with an underbite. Half dog, half brown trout. <laughs> I love it. So, Jen, <laughs> if people want to reach out to you and connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, well, JFO Jackson. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh, if you want to... Uh, chat with me. One of the things I like to tell folks is, and it goes back to something I had just kind of dropped it as a subtle note when we were talking earlier, but this town can be hard to break into. And one of the things that I do infrequently, but I'm hoping to try to get back on track is something called chan uh, not something called uh, Business and Champagne Tuesdays. And it's a small family style thing. And I've been able to meet so many people coming to the Jackson community that need that support. I always say it takes about a season. It takes about a full cycle of seasons before you really get into the flow of things. We don't hear the term very much anymore, but 90 day wonder. Remember when we used to, people mm -hmm. used to say that? I think there's a lot of us that still feel that way. And so I really love to be part of the welcome wagon to the Jackson community. So anytime you've got questions, you can always reach me at Frederick Mountain MTN, nancygroup.com. Uh, I am staggeringly busy, but I will try to get back in touch. And I love to have coffee with folks and just let them know, hey, do right, be good, and you're going to make it here. But it, it's a tough town. I, I get that. As much as been, has been given to me by Jackson, I like to give that back. So I would just say to people listening, like, if you just want somebody to have a cup of coffee with, no strings attached, you don't have to become a consulting client, just <laughs> give me a call. Because it's nice. It's just really nice when you're down and out or when you're when you're stuck, it's nice to have somebody to chat with. And uh, it makes me feel good because I'm paying it forward. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Stefan. This has been spectacular. 
everybody reach out to Jen. She's <laughs> honest, but you buy the coffee for Jen. <laughs> yes. And maybe a pastry. She likes pastries. Gluten-free pastries Gluten are welcome. Pastries. <laughs> um, thank you. This has been awesome. I've learned so much and your resilience is inspiring. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, Stefan. Let's not be strangers. Let's you and I get some coffees. I love it. We'll do it. Take care. All right. Thanks, Stefan. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Y'all come back again, you hear?